I'm just gonna not walk here for a minute and just listen to all these birds that surround me. I'm standing at the foot of a, a staircase here, a, a concrete staircase that goes up this, uh, this mountain or this hill. And that will lead me to the Arboretum, which is a park near Wageningen, where they are growing all these exotic trees and plants and flowers. But I just love the sound of the birds. In the distance I can hear church bells. I think it's 11 o'clock in the morning, so I'm, yeah, I'm hearing the boing in the distance. That must be the Protestant church, I think, in the center of Wageningen. Sound carries all the way to here. And then, uh, yeah, let's go up this, uh, these stairs. Today, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, vocation. <laughs> As you know, I, my vocation is to be a priest. And I received that vocation when I was barely 18 years old. And, uh, of course, it wasn't a voice from heaven uh, but it was clear it was loud and clear and I think the definitive vocation or calling uh, came to me when I was in Lourdes at the grotto and I understood that that point in time that I needed to become a priest that that was what God was calling me to um, what that meant was completely unclear but I knew that I wanted to be a priest um, I remember that during that week in Lourdes, I had met um, a few young priests, which was, for me, something new. I had never seen priests that were younger than 65. Our own parish priest was old. At least at that time, I thought that was old, 65. Now I'm thinking, oh, that was prime time, you know? <laughs> but uh, seeing some young priests and then considering that that may actually be what God had been trying to tell me, uh, over the past months because I, I knew that God wanted something I just didn't know what uh, that ultimately resulted in me understanding that uh, the priesthood was what God was calling me to but of course what that looks like I had no idea by the way before I continue let me just stop here and look at these amazing flowers I've got these uh, this big plant uh, what is it called uh, is a Ericia rhododendron. So, and that is a bee. You hear that? Stereo bee. <laughs> it thinks that my microphone is also a flower, a gray flower. <laughs> that was interesting. I don't think I've ever recorded a bee during my podcast, at least not in a solo performance here. <laughs> oh, wow. This is so beautiful. Several trees are already in, in bloom. I can see the cherry blossoms over there. I remember last time I was record. Was I podcasting? Maybe I was just going for a walk. Um, there was snow. I think that was on. Wasn't that on around my birthday in the beginning of April? And I, I saw these same trees were in flower or blossoming, and it started to snow really hard, and I. Uh, I didn't have a, an umbrella with me, so I took shelter under these trees for about half an hour <laughs> until it stopped snowing. Oh, wow, it's so gorgeous here. 
That's some guys work. Wow, look at that. So you've got pink trees and white, big white tree that is in full bloom. Amazing. In a few weeks from now, this will all be completely different. But this is the best time of the year to walk around here. These guys are uh, planting new flowers, I guess, or he's maintaining this. That must be hard work, uh, being on your knees for hours, uh, trying to get, I think they're taking out uh, the, the weeds, but they're doing that by hand. Wow, and this is a big park or a big arboretum. These people are working on... Oh, there's a little red robin. Wow. I'm always amazed that these red robins are not afraid at all. It's sitting there on a branch, and now it flies away. Gorgeous. Oh, there are so many people working here in these gardens. Or maybe also studying them, because Wageningen is, of course, also a university city. Um, specialized in... Uh, in, in farming, everything has to do with uh, with nature and farming and whatnot. So this guy is taking notes, also sitting on his knees. Morgen. Yeah, he's taking notes. I'm not sure what he's describing, but he's, I think, just... Uh, uh, studying the trees and maybe uh, assessing their health or whatever. I don't know. I don't know anything about flowers and and trees. <laughs> um, but then again, I was not called to be a gardener. I was called to be a shepherd. And over time, my idea of what a priest does or what he should do has changed so much and is still actually changing at least for me personally all the time the moment you think oh now i know what i have to do it's it's when the rug gets pulled out under you from underneath you and you have to kind of rethink it and maybe that is the way it's supposed to be it's just that that society and to a certain extent also uh priestly formation kind of presents you with this like this this generalized idea of this is the life of a parish priest and it involves visiting people liturgy more liturgy even more liturgy <laughs> a bit of education catechesis and lots of meetings and more meetings and even more meetings and then of course there is your personal life which is a life um, where you should wake up early, say your prayers, study a bit, and then work. <laughs> Seriously, that is kind of the, how, how we were presented, uh, <clears throat> what we were presented with when we were still in formation at the seminary. Um, and some priests would have a slightly different life. Um, some of them were teachers at the university, um, and so they wouldn't have any pastoral uh, responsibilities they sh usually were assisting in parishes but that's um, just for liturgy and maybe the occasional sacramental 
service, like hearing confessions or baptizing children or uh, being a witness for a, for, a, for a wedding or something like that. But uh, I remember that back then uh, at the university, we did have a couple of um, uh, teachers that were priests. And it always was a bit strange to me. It's like, but as a priest, don't you want to be in a parish? Don't you want to uh, help people uh, in, in their, in their uh, walk of, of, of life? Good morning. morning. As I said, they're working everywhere in this park. Uh, these guys are um, uh, clearing up the paths. So they're, um, the grass is, uh, of course, overgrowing the path if you don't do anything. So what they're doing is they cut off the ridge of the, of the, of the grass and, and then they remove the roots so that the paths themselves are not overgrown over time. Oh, wow. This must be the, I don't know, the day for everyone to work here. <laughs> Despite the weather, because, <laughs> because it's, a, it's a wet day. But then again, for, for, the, for the flowers. Oh, wow, look at those flowers. That's beautiful. What is that? It's called the Camilla? Camellia. Crimson Candles. It's a surname, the beautiful pink flowers that look a little bit like flames on a candle. Probably how they got their nickname. Here on the left are more rhododendrons, I think. Big red ones. Wow, they're popping out. This is very early for rhododendrons. I remember last year, that was much later in the year. It's maybe because we've had so much nice weather a few weeks ago. So everything, maybe that's why they're all working here, because like, everything is sped up. Uh, so let me just go past this tractor. Good morning. And they're uh, loading all the, the branches that they cut off onto, uh, onto um, a, uh, what is it? I don't know how you call that, like a cart? And they're going to bring that probably to a recycling station or something like that. Ah, oh, such a beautiful day. <laughs> it's hard for me to stay focused on what, I, what I'm telling you. So <clears throat> this idea of uh, a priest not doing parish work for me was already kind of like difficult to imagine. What do these people do? And is this truly, do you need to be a priest for this? That, that's kind of what I wonder. Do you need to be a priest to be a teacher at the university? Well, of course not, because there are many other teachers that are not priests and have a family and whatnot. But um, to me, it was like, no, this is not my vocation. And then over time, strangely enough, after I finished my studies at the two seminaries, first in Belgium and then in the Netherlands, I felt that, well, maybe this is something that should be a part of my life as a priest. And I was thinking of... uh, uh, pursuing a doctorate in theology uh, and then maybe teach part-time. And I, that was also what the uh, diocese at the time was thinking. Um, I think they were in need of a, uh, a new judge or how do you say that? Uh, so someone, an expert in canon law, and they wanted to send me to 
uh, to Germany to study canon law. I think it was... No, I forgot where it was. Somewhere in Germany. And, and that was when I realized, oh, no, 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 that is clearly not my thing. I did study canon law during my theology studies, but I wasn't that interested in it. Because it's basically just the rules. I was more interested in theology and the bigger questions. And uh, I was already, at the time, starting to develop some internet projects. I had my little Star Wars website that I did as a hobby. And, uh, and I felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm someone who needs to be out there. I need to share faith and explain it to people, um, even if they're not going to church, if they're not Catholic. So that idea of evangelizing um, was very, very much in the forefront of my mind. And I felt like a, a, as a canon lawyer, undoubtedly that is useful and necessary, but it's just, I don't feel called to that. So that's what I kind of gave back to the people in charge at the diocese back then they were disappointed maybe even a little bit mad <laughs> that I didn't want to do it but I just I was just honest I was like no I, I remember even asking them why did you think that I would want to do canon law and they said well your father works as a judge yes <laughs> I am not my father you know <laughs> my father isn't a priest and I'm a priest so uh, since when is that a good good criterion so anyway, I ended up studying, uh, well, theology in Rome. Uh, I was uh, sent to, to Rome to, to write a, a doctoral study on um, uh, the Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, which I really loved reading. Um, but I, uh, I, that's where I discovered the media um, courses and uh, and so I ended up studying social communications and that became my life uh, very quickly it started off uh, as just a very small part of my work so as uh, uh, I was assigned to parish in Amersfoort and I became the pastor um, but at the same time I was uh, developing podcasting oh look at these oh I love these the most Oh, this is just gorgeous. Oh, this tree is just cherry blossom, I think, or something very akin to it. But this is a very small tree, so it's uh, at eye level. So beautiful. Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. What a beautiful part. I'm so glad I went for a walk here. Here are more daffodils. I don't see any tulips yet, but maybe they haven't planted any because tulips is kind of the, the common Dutch thing, whereas the arboretum usually um, is more for exotic plants and trees that won't grow anywhere else. And so, uh, but man, this is beautiful. So th that's where my, I, my, my own idea of what I should do as a priest started to shift. I did work in the parish, but I had already... Um, uh, worked for many years in the world of Star Wars and uh, I, I've, I discovered that it was possible to reach people that would never come to church and I would be able to talk with them about faith in conjunction with Star Wars. So I, I felt I was onto something and I was reaching back then I think about, this was way before podcasting and YouTube, 
So it was just a blog, which even then wasn't called a blog because blogging wasn't a thing yet. Uh, it was just a... I started off with a GeoCities free website and ultimately got my own domain name, which I was very proud of. And uh, I had my own website. Um, I was at the height of the Star Wars hype. This was around the just before the premiere of The Phantom Menace. I had about 50,000 visitors per per week, I think. Or was it per day? I don't know. Just tons and tons of people. Um, and I knew that, that this was something that, strangely enough, had become not just... had become much more than a hobby. It was a way for me to be a priest and a shepherd of that world around Star Wars. And because I was able to speak both the language of the church and the language of Star Wars, and I had my credentials when it came to Star Wars, being a lifelong Star Wars fan, um, and having that still, at the time, relatively popular uh, Star Wars website, um, I was able to connect with people and to help them discover a little bit more of my world uh, as a Catholic and as a priest. And it led also to conversions. Um, I will never know, of course, in this life how it changed everyone or if it changed, but I have, uh, I did receive emails from time to time from people that told me how much um, the, uh, the knowing me and having followed me for a couple of years had, had changed their whole idea of what church was about. And, and for some people it led to baptism. So I knew this is something that I can't do in, in a parish setting. I love working in a parish. I've always loved that. But this is new. This is, <laughs> this, is another, this is something that no one else does. And so that's probably why when I was sent to Rome, I was also enamored by, the communi- by social communications and everything I learned there. Not to mention that that was actually taught to us in the context of a very ancient Catholic University, one of the oldest in the world, if not the oldest. And it, it, for them, for the teachers there, and for the people who set up that institute, it was obvious that the Catholic Church should know uh, how to work in media because it's such an, it's a powerful tool to reach people and to help them. And so, but that was very uncommon in the Netherlands. There were some priests that had worked in media in the past, but it was always in a liturgical context. It was always they were the ones that would uh, uh, celebrate Mass on TV, for instance. But that was it. There were no program makers at all. That just didn't exist. Um, I'm wondering what the best way home is. I think I'll just continue straight on. I'm walking through this beautiful neighborhood um, still on the hill. This is not the center of Wageningen. You've got these nice villas here, beautiful houses. <laughs> They're probably extremely expensive as well. With lush gardens full of flowers and trees and oh, gorgeous houses. Um, the uh, uh, So the whole concept of not just uh, being filmed by media or interviewed as a priest, but being actually a, 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 a program maker and, and, and being 
a professional in the media field, in Rome, that was a very common thing. There was nothing wrong with that. Actually, it was something that they felt was super important. At home in Holland, in the Netherlands, that was unheard of. And so when I finally returned, um, it's only by accident that I ended up on TV. And, <laughs> and that was only as a presenter at first. And then, well, you know, the rest... Over time, I, I got better and better, and I started to, uh, to grow those activities, um, not just on, on traditional media. So I worked for a couple of years in radio, on television, and then, of course, social media started to explode, and I started to expand. I had the podcasts, and then uh, ultimately ended up uh, <laughs> making the move to, to YouTube, and, and uh, well continues to do podcasting as well but my life is now 100% dedicated to media which is completely different of what I thought I I would do when I was sitting there in front of the grotto in Lourdes and I realized that God wanted me to become a priest and even now uh, in in this past year I've discovered that well <laughs> what I thought I should do is, is, has already changed again. Because now I need to build up everything from the ground. I uh, may still make some t- TV programs and hope to do that because it's, it's fun and I feel a certain loyalty to uh, the people that have been following me over the years. But I would also really love to do um, international documentaries and see if I can... Uh, use the experience that I now have to tell stories for an even wider audience. I don't know if it's going to be necessarily bigger in terms of number of people that I will reach, but definitely uh, um, what what I hope is that the stories that I tell can reach people from all over the world. (laughs) That has always been part of the kind of the, the excitement of being a priest is to know that the words that Jesus told his disciples, you know, I want you to go to the ends of the world and baptize people, introduce them to the love of my Father in heaven uh, and bless them with the Holy Spirit and forgive their sins and help them, that that is also my mission, to go to the ends of the world. And I can do that by traveling, but nowadays you can also do that by using these international social media to reach out. And so it's the, the thing that it is still to be discovered for a large part is how do you do that if it doesn't have a physical component? Ah, now I see where I end up. Ah, now I know how to get home as well. So I'm on the, where is this? The northeastern side of Wageningen. So on my left is the city. And if I continue straight, I'm going through, through the fields. Um, there are some meadows there. And then uh, there is a ridge that's slightly higher of hills with, with the woods where I normally go for a walk. So if I continue, I will ultimately get home. Uh, but it's still <laughs> quite a distance. I'm far away from home right now. But that's okay. Um, in between brackets, I am also training for um, 
four days of walking in the, in the summertime. And for that event, I have to walk 50 kilometers each day for four days in a row. So I'm following this training schedule. And this week, um, there are a few long walks. And when I say long, it's like 20 kilometers, 30 kilometers. Um, so having to record podcasts that are called The Walk is actually quite uh, quite a nice coincidence because I can both train and work at the same time. So not having a physical dimension of uh, in, in this pastoral relationship that you have, how does that work? Um, as you know, I've been streaming Mass since the beginning of the pandemic. I'm still doing that every week. Um, and when it's time for communion, of course, I... Uh, I eat the body of Christ and drink the blood of Christ. But the people that are participating in that online celebration are not able to receive communion physically. So, thankfully, uh, usually the, the, the people that are watching are sharing this uh, prayer for spiritual communion. But, of course, it's not ideal. You would like to be there with them. And there is a certain physicality of the sacraments that is essential to the life of the church. So I haven't really wrapped my mind around how God wants to proceed with this. Um, What I do notice, and that's I think what I should focus on, is that this is absolutely helping people. Um, This this digital ministry is impacting people. (laughs) Goedemorgen, little doggy. Yeah, well, this is not food. No, <laughs> that's a microphone. I find interesting. That dog actually had the same color as the windshield that I have on my microphone. So maybe he thought I was carrying a puppy or something. <laughs> I don't know what it is with dogs and this podcast, but I I think I should just do. Like, maybe I should do a a weekly podcast called The Bark. And I will just... (laughs) Target audience could be dogs from all over the world. Because the the advantage of barking is it's a universal language. It's like church Latin for dogs. You can can bark at any dog and wherever they are in the world, they will understand it. Uh, Maybe maybe that's a a nice addition to my work as a... No. (laughs) But... Instead of asking myself, so how does this work? Maybe that's not my job to figure that out. Um, But what I do see is that in itself, this ministry, especially the liturgical side of it, the pastoral side of it, uh, also coaching people spiritually through this podcast or sometimes it's also through YouTube videos or maybe in the future TikTok. um, It is... This is not just a replacement for physical ministry. This is its own form and shape. And as much as I've been kind of trying out new things that nobody had done before, like the Star Wars connection and and, and evangelizing through Star Wars, this too, I feel, is something that God is using. Um, And and the, the, the thing that is the trickiest is to believe that this is part of my vocation instead of something that 
I should not pursue. Um, so it's it's like how how much do you want to conform yourself to the traditional image of a parish priest? There is great value in that, absolutely. But we also have to admit that it can't be the only way in which God wants to be close to his people and that he wants us as shepherds to be close to his people. Jesus went to the places where people gathered. He didn't stay at the temple. He was there regularly. He would also go to the synagogue on on the Shabbat and pray and teach and read, tell stories. But most of the stories that we know from the Gospels are stories that take place in the daily lives of people. He would go visit people. He would meet them on the road. He didn't really have a very specific plan like, oh, uh, hey, Peter, I want you to take two of the apostles and uh, uh, create an event for um, week 14 of the year. And I want to do, let's sell tickets to finance the whole thing because, of course, we need to buy food and we need to build a tent. So, yeah, let's put the price at, uh, I don't know, (laughs) 10 gold coins for the front row seats. And No. In, in, In many ways, the journey that we read... Uh, or that we follow when we read the Gospels seems to be a bit haphazard, not organized at all, not structured, not planned. And many of the most famous stories happen almost by accident. It's just this guy on the side of the road. It's not even the, the goal of Jesus to go um, heal the sick. He is just there to, I don't know, preach at the synagogue or something like that. Um, but then he meets this guy and, and he's blind and he heals him. And that, you know what? That ends up in the gospel. Totally unplanned event. Something where grace happens. But none of it, is, it has been formulated as a goal. Uh, it's just the people that, he, that Jesus meets along the road or along his journey. And that is kind of, the more I do this work, and especially this year, where um, I have to, to a certain extent, reinvent what I do as a priest, uh, since I no longer have a a pastoral responsibility for a specific parish, um, the more I think I need to go back to the source of my vocation. Who is the one who called me to be a priest? It's not the bishop. Ultimately, he was, of course formally but the source of that is of course God's calling and so if he called me to be a priest he must have known (laughs) what he wanted me to do and I've always thought that that would be what I saw around me like that I was called to live a certain type of life that most priests most people that are called to be priests are living And it turns out that's not the essential element of vocation. Um, Vocation is not a job description. It's not like, hey, um, this and this needs to be done. This is how much you're going to make per month. This is where you'll live. And this is what I want you to do from 9 to 5. 
a vocation, a calling, is a personal call. It's, it, it's a, an invitation to a relationship. How does Jesus call his apostles? He tells them, come and see. Follow me. And that's what they do. He doesn't have a plan or objectives or goals, but he wants a relationship. He wants them to follow. He calls them the, they're his friends, not his employees, his friends. Ah, they're cutting off branches, so I think I can walk underneath these trees. Wow, they have this big uh, crane that they steer remotely. So there are two wood choppers. That's how you call them. They've got these these uh, mechanical saws, and they are in a small basket on top of that arm. But they can steer the car or the the crane up and down. Wow. Yeah, I guess this is the time of year where you cut down the trees, um, especially, of course, the branches that are. Um, maybe a bit dangerous because these trees are hanging over a road here so you need to make sure that branches cannot break off and fall on 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 passersby like me <laughs> that would not be good Ooh, it's getting a, a little bit windy here so on my left is uh, uh an open space with with meadows there are five horses on my left they clearly are startled by the sound of those uh, wood chopping activities so they're uh, walking away from the noise here's a car that wants to go where I came from but you can't because these guys are blocking the road with their crane now veering off to the right and then I will oh i love it here it's so beautiful i'm so lucky to live here right now uh, when i look at this landscape it almost feels like i'm not in the netherlands i've always lived in parts of the country where everything was flat and now i'm in the middle of the hills it's beautiful so the core of the vocation of the apostles was a relationship jesus would take them with him and they would meet people along the way and Jesus wanted them to be there with these people and to help them. And that is also how the early church functioned. These apostles would travel. They would, they would go and found new churches and communities. And sometimes they would stick around for a couple of years, like Paul in Corinth. And then they would move on again. So it was, in many ways, a journey. And I'm pretty sure that Paul, for instance, did not know at all what the journey should be or what he should do. In fact, he tried sometimes for years to get something off the ground. Corinth is a great example of that. He was certain that he was called to start a church community there in Corinth, but it didn't work. People didn't want to listen. They had all sorts of objections. And whatever he tried, he couldn't get through. And so that's why he ended up working in a store that sold tents. Like, he was selling camping stuff. Not at all what you would associate with, you know, the, this great apostle Paul. That's 
how his story goes. And I'm pretty sure that for the other apostles, their lives were also um, unexpected and un unplanned and they certainly did not conform to a certain standard so there is an advantage there is a disadvantage and an advantage disadvantage is it is a bit disconcerting it is sometimes making me nervous not knowing exactly how i should be appraised and 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 if what i do is is um actually helping to build the church uh, or what? Maybe if this is a temporary phase, or if this digital ministry is something that is here to stay. Um, there are so many questions around what I do and the way in which I try to be present as a priest. So that's a disadvantage, and it's also kind of difficult to when I have to explain what I do. I could I could normally say, well, I work I work for TV. That's what people know. As soon as I said I make podcasts, and most of the people are already like, uh, "Sorry, what?" And uh, let alone YouTube or social media. That is for many people. They associate that with uh, playtime. You know, that's a hobby. That can't be serious work. Um, let alone, you know, how can that be part of the life of a priest and be the work of a priest? Uh, so yeah, that's that's sometimes a bit hard. Also for myself to. <laughs> to know if I'm doing the right thing. On the other hand, the big advantage is it keeps you on the edge. You have to keep listening. You have this process of discernment. So how am I going to operate here as a priest? um, Prevents me from falling into the trap of, you know, this is the way we've always done it. And we continue to do that just because, because, you know, what else am I going to do? Which could also close us to new initiatives or to react to, to changing situations. I think that the fact that I had been already working in digital media for so long helped me to, when as soon as the, everything in the world changed through the pandemic and we, we couldn't even open our churches anymore, I knew what to do. And I was able to stream the masses and and it worked and it helped. And it had even the, the added benefit of not only helping people that couldn't go to church anymore, but also bringing in people that never went to church. And that's still the case. I still have part of my audience that follows my masses. They go and they are watching the entire mass, listening to the homily, listening to the readings, to the prayers. And they will share in the comments. And this happens every week. Hey, I... I'm an atheist, but this is great. This helps me. Um, the other day, there was this Jewish woman who wrote me like, I'm Jewish, but this is so inspiring and it helps me so much. Now, that is not my... Um, uh, I would say that it's not, not to, uh, to, to, to tell you how, you know, look, this is useful, but it just shows you that this form of kind of like... <laughs> reinventing what it means to be a priest in these times is a journey and that you because nothing is fixed and and there is no model for this it helps you to do stuff that unexpectedly can work maybe it frees up the holy spirit to try something new as well because we have to and it 
is essential in this process, and that's why it is good for me, even though sometimes disconcerting. Um, it forces me to trust. It forces me to pray. It forces me to discern, uh, not just by myself, but also with the board and with the people around me and with the community. Um, I do that a lot. I, you know that my Patreon community is extremely important to me because they are the ones that help me in this process of discernment. I can always pitch ideas to them and ask them, would this help you? And, and very often, something that I think is a great idea is not picked up, whereas other things are proposed. And I was like, mm, really? You want that? Okay, I'll think about it. And that ends up in you know, a, new, a new project. So it is, uh, it's a fascinating life. I never thought when I was 18 years old that at this time in my life where normally people you know, are settled in and they know... They're, most people are like, oh, just another 10 years and then I go and retire. I'm not going to do anything new. I feel like every day I have to do something new and I don't know exactly if that's going to work or not. But that's what makes it so fascinating. It's Jesus who is the source of my vocation and he tells me, come and follow me. Come and see. You may not see what I'm doing. I'll show you. Trust me. That's what it's all about. Thanks for listening. And if you are part of my Patreon community, then you know that uh, you can accompany me if you want for another extra mile. It's one of those podcasts. Uh, one of three that you get when you are a patron. Uh, you get a, a, a personalized feed and uh, you get three podcasts per week extra in addition to the ones that I post publicly. Uh, one is the uh, the Extra Mile, which is continuation of the walk. One is um, Father Roderick to the Max, which is a show very much like the other weekly show, but I talk about different topics and uh, you've got the gospel for geeks which is the audio recording of my homily Uh, so in case you go to church elsewhere on sunday but you still want to hear my thoughts on uh, the gospel and that usually i illustrate that with stories from the world of geeks then uh, then you can listen to that uh, during your commute or when you're walking the dog or anything so those are the, the benefits for those that are um, part of the Patreon community. Thanks, and I will talk to you soon. Take care. God bless.